You see, there is no rebirth outside of Jesus Christ. There is no rebirth outside of Jesus Christ. You can have all kinds of thoughts. Well, what's, what's the, the going uh, belief today in, uh, uh, in Hinduism, of course, is reincarnation, you know. You'll come back as something else. So there are all kinds of religious ways of looking at life, death, and rebirth. Transfiguration of some sort or another. That's a, a new age kind of thing. Death and transfiguration. But, but really, what do we know? We know that we die. But if we're in Christ, we will live again. Jesus himself said it. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. Peter, in preaching in Acts chapter 4, Verses 10 through 12, he said, Be it known unto all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. And he said, Neither, neither is there salvation in any other, For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. No other name. There is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ, which means there is no rebirth without Jesus. So that's the importance of being born again. That's the importance of understanding what Jesus meant when he spoke to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and told him that we must be born again. But that birth, that rebirth, goes way beyond the life and existence on this earth. And that's the wondrous thing about the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. Though these bodies will die one day, unless we're taken with him in the rapture of the church, we will be with him if we know Jesus Christ. So let's get to know Jesus. Let's really get to know Jesus. Well, let's look at the description that's given to us in the same verse, verse 1. By the way, last week we we studied Thyatira, which was the longest uh, letter written to the church. This is one of the shortest letters. But I'm sorry, it's the longest study. (laughs) So here's the description, verse 1. And it's right in the middle there. It says, These things saith he that has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. That's the description now. You'll notice that at every church that a letter is written, there is a description given of Jesus that comes from Revelation chapter 1. Where there at the end of Revelation chapter 1, we're given a description of Jesus as John saw him. So this description taken from Revelation 1 just like the others, is once again very significant to the church that is written, that the letter is written to. Jesus is described as the one having the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And as we have said previously, the seven spirits of God speak of the complete work or the manifold working of the Holy Spirit. The complete work. The number seven, we've talked a little bit about numbers in, in the scriptures. And seven speaks of a completeness, a fullness. A perfection. 
And so he is the one having the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. As we have said previously, the seven spirits of God speak of this complete work or this manifold working. The seven stars represent the pastors or the messengers of these churches. And here specifically the pastor of the church of Sardis. Thus, the thought here is that the Spirit of God is the one who gives life to this church. For without the Spirit of God moving, the church is dead. The Spirit gives life. Now this is something that we see in Scripture. It is the Spirit that gives life. Without the Spirit, there is no life. The Church of Jesus Christ today needs to understand the effectiveness of the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit, especially if there is question to whether any church is lifeless and or dying. Are there dying churches today? Yes. Folks, one of the greatest examples of, of dying churches, if not dead churches, is in the uh, nation of, of Great Britain, in England. This, this country, which was so uh, prominent in the last couple of centuries of taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole world, Using that understanding that here was, was Great Britain or England, you know, that had this, this great empire that went into all of the world. And they, and they used that as a vehicle to take the gospel to many areas of the world. In that very nation, today, Christian churches have been closing by the, by the week over the last 10, 15 years. And they've been, some, some churches in England are turning, have been turned into mosques. Others have been turned into nightclubs. Churches. We could say, well, that's pretty lifeless or dying. No, it's dead. <laughs> that's dead. When you have the Church of England and it's, it's, uh, uh, you know, Archbishop, the Archbishop of Canterbury, who today is, is, is somebody who is, uh, is uh, quite liberal in his theology, doesn't really believe what the Scripture has to say. Uh, he's, he's ready to allow, because there are so many Muslims now in, the, in, 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 in England, ready to allow um, Sharia law. It's crazy. But that's, a, that's an example of what's going on. Jesus spelled these things out, the, the, the things of, of, of the Spirit, the things that are necessary in the church. He spelled these things out for us, and, and, and especially to His disciples in the upper room before going to the cross. So think about that, what Jesus was saying to His disciples about the Spirit and the influence of the Spirit in the church to keep the church going and to keep the church alive. And He's saying this before He goes to the cross, which is telling us something. It's telling us that he knew he was going to come back, number one. But it's also telling us of the importance of what's going to happen after the resurrection. Because the disciples then would become the apostles, and the apostles then would be the ones sent out, because that's what it means to be an apostle, the sent out ones, to take the gospel into all of the world. So he spells these things out to the disciples in the upper room going to the cross. So I'm giving you seven things very quickly here, okay, because we have a lot of time. But he is the comforter. We're speaking of the Holy Spirit. He is the comforter, the other helper. Now remember there are seven points of, of the Spirit of God that are mentioned to us in Isaiah 11. We already did that back when we were in chapter 1. 
but now we need to understand this as concerning the life of the church. He is the comforter, the other helper. John 14, verse 16. And I will pray the Father and He will give you another helper, comforter, paracletus, or paraclete, that He, might, that he may abide with you forever. So He is our comforter, the other helper. Who is our helper? Jesus Christ. Who's the other helper? Who's the comforter? The Holy Spirit. In the next verse, He is the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. And then He is the personal presence of Christ. He is the personal presence of Christ. Verses 18 through 20 of John chapter 14. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you a little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you will, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. The context is the Holy Spirit is going to be present with you. He will be my personal presence. And then He is the very special manifestation of Christ within the believer. He is the very special manifestation of Christ within the believer. The next two verses. He who has my commandments and keeps them. It is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And at the end there, Judas, not Iscariot, another Judas, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Well, he just explained, if you love me, you'll be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him, to whoever loves me. The very special manifestation of Christ within the believer if I ask you the question, do you have Jesus in your heart? Uh-huh. If I ask that question, what are we talking about? That very special manifestation of Jesus in us. And then he is the, the abiding presence of the Trinity. He is the, uh, he is the abiding presence of the Godhead and the Trinity. Verses 23 and 24, Jesus answered and he said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. But isn't that an interesting thing? If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. We will come. Just the Father and Jesus? No, the Spirit. Why? Because that's the context. It's the Holy Spirit, too. In other words, we're all going to come. viene la familia, you know. We understand that, right, in our culture. Well, you know... It's not just one that comes, it's the whole family. (laughs) He is the teacher. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And then, lastly, He is the peace of Christ. He is the peace. He is the shalom. And we can truly say that the word that is used in the Greek for peace is transliterated to the Hebrew as shalom and to the Greek from shalom. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. If we have the presence of the Holy Spirit, we have the peace of God. And we don't have to be afraid. 
No matter what we see, no matter what we face, no matter what we have to deal with in this life. But here's the point of all of this in, our, in the context of our study. What a lifeless and a dying church needs is the Spirit of God. What a lifeless and a dying church needs is, a, is the Spirit of God. A lifeless and dying church needs to seek Christ for the Spirit of God. We need to seek Jesus Christ for the Spirit of God. Consider what Jesus said in Luke eleven thirteen. He said, if you then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? A lifeless and dying church needs to seek the quickening of the Holy Spirit. A lifeless and dying church needs to seek the quickening of the Holy Spirit. I, I don't understand, you know, when, when people kind of see things where they're losing a lot of, of, of members in their church, and, and, or they say, well, we're just getting older, we're just an older church. And, 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 and you know what they start moving toward? They don't start moving toward seeking the Holy Spirit. In, in some cases, they just kind of like seek a program. Let's kind of seek a, a, a way of, you know, I read this book, and so that book says what we should do is this, 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 and this, and this. The ten ways to grow a church, this and that. You know, we just need to seek the Spirit of God. I mean, he's the one that's still around. He's the one that's still alive. He's the one that the Bible tells us we need to go to for this life. The Spirit gives life. And can you imagine if with the Spirit and the Word are both active in a church, what are we going to have? Life. Doubly life. Why? Because there's life in the Word of God as well. Romans 8 verse 11. It says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So if the spirit is dwelling in you and he's giving you life, that doesn't mean that you only got life the moment that you said yes to Jesus Christ. I believe you get life every day. I I believe you get a new mercy every morning. Because that's what it says in the the scriptures in Lamentations chapter 3. There are new mercies every morning. Great is His faithfulness because He gives us that mercy. He gives us that presence of His. And if we call upon Him, He gives us that outpouring of His Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit of God every day of our lives. We need to be awake. We need to be ready to serve the Lord in whatever capacity He wants us to do it. A lifeless and dying church needs to seek the convicting power of the Holy Spirit It needs to seek the fruit of the Spirit. It needs to seek the guidance of the Spirit. It needs to seek the revival fire of the Spirit. And it needs to seek the witnessing power of the Spirit. That's what the church needs to do. Today. Now. Sounds like to me there's only about three of you that are ready. I hope the rest of you are just kind of taking it in. Okay. All right. Good. So here's, here's the condemnation. The condemnation is still in verse 1, by the way. But you notice I said condemnation, not commendation? Haven't we all up to this point been given some commendations to every church? Well, not here. Immediately in verse 1 of chapter 3, we get a condemnation and rebuke. I know your works. 
Now, doesn't he say this to every church? He said it up to this point. Last four churches and this one. I know your works. Remember, Jesus knows what's going on. He knows what's going on in the church. And he says, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. I don't see any commendation here. Not in this verse. Take note, there is no commendation whatsoever given to this church. This means that its sin is one of the most serious problems that a church can have. Whatever the sin is in this particular church is one of the most serious problems that a church can have. What was the problem? What have we been saying? It was a lifeless and dying church. But, but, take note also, the church had works. I know your works. It had works. We could liken that to having all sorts of programs. It had ministries. It had activities. It had so much bustling activity that it had a reputation among other churches. Right? You read that first part? I know your works that you have a name that you're alive. You have a name that you're alive. But you're dead. You have a name that you're alive. That's reputation. But they were dead. Yes, some saw life. There was a lot of activity. What was the other church that had a lot of activity? Ephesus. It had a whole lot of activity going on in the church. It had works. It, I mean, it, it labored. Sometimes even in the midst of great persecution. Yet at the same time, Jesus says, but I have this against you. You've left your first love. So you can have all kinds of activities. Activity does not make what is good for the church always. I mean, you know, it's good to have it. But that's not what matters to God. They saw some life. They said, we see this thing. I mean, they have a name that they're alive, but they're dead. It was just a flicker of what burned brightly at one time. It was a flicker. Now there was no life any longer. And that is interesting to me. Why? Because in this whole letter to Sardis, there is no mention of persecution. There was no persecution from outside the church that killed it. Smyrna was a persecuted church. But it stayed faithful. It stayed faithful to God and to Christ. But there was no persecution from outside the church of Sardis that was killing it. There was no false doctrine coming from within the church that killed it. We don't see anything mentioned here about false doctrine, about false teaching. Because that could kill a church. It was killing Thyatira. It was killing Pergamos to some extent. And that's why Jesus said, you need to repent of those things. 
And yet the church of Sardis died a slow, agonizing death that was secondary to apathy. Secondary to apathy. All that was left was an empty shell of what it once was. You can go throughout Europe today and see beautiful church buildings that are empty. I mentioned England earlier. Go to France. Go to other places where uh, Protestant churches once thrived greatly. They're just shells now. In England, I I remember years ago, uh, back in the early 90s, I was was there and visiting, uh, actually coming back from a work we were doing at in, in Austria, but we, we stopped in England and went to one of the great churches of, of the 18th, well, actually, I should say 19th century and early 20th century is a church called Westminster Chapel where D. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached and, and uh, G. Campbell Morgan preached there. And these were great names in, in, in the history of, of the modern church. And when, G, when, when D. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached in that church, the church had three, had two balconies, so it had the floor and two balconies. And it was beautiful when we went in there. And we, we, we were given the opportunity to go in by ourselves. It was just a couple of us. And, and we stood at the pulpit and we just saw that. It was beautiful, all in wood, you know, all the seats, just, all the pews just swung around in a kind of an uh, oval shape, you know. And, and, I, and, and it seated something like 3,000 people. And... I've seen pictures where every seat was taken when he was preaching. One of the most powerful preachers of our time. When we went to a service there that, that night, because we, we went to Spurgeon's old church before, but when we went to Westminster Chapel for a church in the evening, there, there couldn't have been any more than maybe a hundred people and down on, on the ground floor. But by then, there was during a time when they had this group called the Kansas City Prophets. And, and one of them had come and they brought, invited him to teach. And, and the people were just, you know, dead. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. One of the saddest things I've ever seen. Where a church was so prominent. And, in, 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 you know, it was just a few blocks from, West, uh, from, from the... Uh, where the Crete, the, the, where uh, Buckingham Palace is, and, 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 but, and yet the people went there to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Oh, sad. Now it was just a, a, like a shell. All these churches are visited only by tour groups in some cases because there's no, no life in them anymore. In fact, in Sweden, Denmark, and Norway, there is an, only an estimated 3% of the population that attend church each week. Three percent of the population. So listen, being dead, the church in Sardis presented no significant threat to Satan's domain. So it wasn't worth attacking. One person called the church of Sardis. One person called the church of Sardis a perfect model of inoffensive Christianity. It's a man named G.B. Caird. He called it a perfect model of inoffensive Christianity. You know, even Jesus said, listen, when you go preach the gospel, man, you're going to step on toes. He didn't say it in those terms, okay? That's Charlie's interpretation. But He says, you know, you, I mean, when you, preach, when you preach the truth, 
I mean, there's, there's going to be division. He said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Not that he came with that motive. It's just that that's the, what the message of the gospel does. A perfect model of inoffensive Christianity. You need to write these things down. The church is in danger when? The church is in danger when it begins to worship its own past. When all it talks about is what it used to be, what the glory of, its, uh, of what it was before. You know, Calvary Chapel began at a, in a time of what was called the Jesus Movement, and it was the most prominent church of that time, growing because they were preaching the gospel to kids that were hippies and pot smokers and pot dealers and surfers and all kinds of other things in the late 60s. And, and these people, you know, just came to Jesus and they would fill, you know, the front of the, of the platform down the, you know, was in the chairs and there were people in suits and there were people, with, you know, with dirty feet and they were all together worshiping the Lord. But today, you know, we don't talk about that. I mean, because that was then. It was certainly part of the history of Calvary Chapels, but, but it's, it's not like, oh, listen, we were back in those days and, you know, that's all we talk about. No, don't worship the past. We are living where we are today and we're looking for the coming of Jesus now and we need to be busy bringing people into the kingdom because Jesus is coming. That was the message back then. It's the same message today. Just different people and different society. The church is in danger when it is more concerned with form instead of faith. When it's more concerned with rites and rituals instead of just that simple faith in Jesus Christ. And service to a God that we know and love and and have communion with and fellowship with. The church is in danger when it loves systems more than it loves the Savior. When it loves a a method more than it loves the Messiah. Church is in danger. When it is more concerned with physical substance than with the person of the Holy Spirit. When it matters only what you have and what you can get from God rather than getting the one thing that we really need, which is life from the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew 15, verse 8, I don't know how I get ahead of myself here, but I probably forgot to put these in again. But turn to Matthew 15, verse 8. And there Jesus said, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me. Matthew 15 verse 8. And then in Romans 14 verse 17 Paul said, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking but righteousness, peace and joy In the Holy Spirit. So these are additions to what we have here. Because they're not up on the board. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Okay, we've got to move on to the exhortation now. I've got to get on my proofreader. That's me. 
Let's get on to the exhortation now. Verses 2 and 3. It says, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain out. Jesus, again, still speaking the same church. Church that's dead. He says, Be watchful. Now, part of the understanding of being watchful is be awake as well. Be awake. Remember what happened to your city during the time of the Babylonians. Remember what happened during the time of Antiochus. You guys fell asleep. You were banking on the hill. You were banking on the fortress that you thought you had built strong enough to keep people away. And they came and got you anyway. The same is happening in the church. So he says, you died. So now you need to wake up. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. In other words, you still got a little life there. But you've got to strengthen what is still alive. Because it's ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect. And what does perfect mean? It also means complete. God wants us to have, and Jesus wants us to have a complete work for God. Not a partial work. Not a half-hearted work. He wants us, first of all, to be passionate. He wants us to be filled with a spirit of, of, of service and love and grace and mercy and all of these things to complete and fulfill our ministry. This is something that Paul says to, to us in his letters. Fulfill your ministry. This is what Jesus taught his disciples. Fulfill your ministry. When we die, we don't fulfill it. We're not supposed to be dead yet, by the way, folks. We're not supposed to be dead. So he says, I have not found your works perfect before God. So he says, remember therefore how you have received and heard. Remember how you received the message at the beginning and how you heard and, and, and hold fast to it. Hold fast to that which you heard and what you received and repent. Turn from this deadness. Turn from this lifelessness. Turn from this apathy, turn from this complacency in your life. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. So, this is a five-fold exhortation to a church that was spiritually dead, and Jesus tells them to wake up. Wake up. And while they might have been busy in church, they were spiritually snoozing and not allowing the Word of God by the Spirit of God to impact their lives. This is one of my greatest concerns in this church and has been for nearly 30 years. Not that I don't love you guys. I do. I love you guys a whole lot. You can't imagine how much I love you guys because you're here. (laughs) But I love you all. I mean, I love everyone in this church. But the struggle that the world challenges us with, by the way, not just the world, the world, the flesh, and the devil. That those three things, the the, the world, the flesh, and the devil, the things that they challenge us with to keep ourselves, to keep us as believers in Jesus Christ, half-hearted, half-working, half-serving, half-everything, rather than being wholehearted and giving our all to God and all, all to Christ where He has put us in this church. 
So I, I just have this, this desire to see that, that we will say, just give the Holy Spirit an in, inroad to your heart. And see what God will do. See what God will do. Because we are the ones that are not allowing the Word of God and the Spirit of God to impact our lives. But if we will let the Lord do His work in us, watch out. Because essentially they came out of church as they went in, unchanged. I would hope that more of us would be changed every time we hear the Word of God, that there is something that we hear. i got to use a golf analogy, y'all don't mind, do you? Just a quick golf analogy here, very quickly. You know, uh, golf is not the easiest game to play. Amen? Oh, there's no golfers in here. Okay. That's good. That's good. You're in church not playing golf. All right. We can't play golf right now because it's dark. All right. You, you understand, golf is not an easy game to play. I mean, you can play for years. I've, I've played for a number of years. I'm not, I'm, very good. I'm not very good at all. Just, you know, stinks. But I tell you what, every time I play, I could be just playing the rottenest game out there. And by the way, I don't play very much. Just, just ask me. I don't do play very much. We only play tournaments. That's it. Huh? That's one, once a year. That's about my schedule. Anyway, uh, but anyway, uh, you know, but there's always in a round of, you know, 18 holes, one shot. Then when I go home, that's the one I think about. I'm, I'm up there with Tiger, you know, I mean. And it's that one shot that brings me back. There is hope. There may be two shots next time. But, but do, you see, do you see the thought? Is there's something that brings me back. And there has to be something, at least one thing, when we hear in God's Word. We could be a whole lot of things. I see a whole lot of you writing notes, so I figure something's being said. So I'm hoping that when you take that, it impacts your life. And then when you say, Lord, I just, this, this really struck me, and I want you, to, by your Spirit, to help me with that thought, because I want that to be the one thing that brings me back, changed, to serve Jesus. So they came out of the church as they went in unchanged, and so they were dead. And Paul admonishes us in his, letters, in his letter to the Romans, in Romans 13, verses 11 and 12. He says, and do this, knowing that the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. We've got to do that. But we do it because we surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit and not to our own power. We say, okay, we've got to cut this out. We've got to do what is right before God. We've got to let the Spirit work in us. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believe. It's, it's time to live in the light of the glory of Jesus Christ and quit hanging around in the darkness of this world. Secondly, Jesus tells the church to strengthen the things that remain. Strengthen the things which remain. Even those ministries for which they were known were starting to die. The believers desperately needed to arouse themselves and take hold of those ministries and put new life into them. I tell you this, when we listen to the Lord, and you know when I see this, I see this more than ever in, 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 the, uh, in, in the women's ministry and in the women's retreat especially, 
when, when the ladies leave here and go up to, to Rio Doso and do the, the and, and they come back, they're so on fire, man. I mean, it is just, it just blesses my heart. You know what they're doing? They are strengthening what is remaining. And they are, they, they are coming and they say, man, we're just excited about serving the Lord. And, and, and we just, it puts new life in the ministries that they do, whether it's in children's ministry or whatever other ministry it is. And, but that's the way it needs to work with us as well. Man, we just had a conference here that I believe was a very good conference. And the things that were shared and the things that were said were things that we should have taken home. And it should encourage our hearts to come back to this church week in and week out and be stronger at the end of this year than at the beginning. And we need, to, we need to take hold of that. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, listen. It says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard or the things we've heard, lest we drift away. There's reason why we need to do this. Because it's very easy to just say, Well, well it's just another teaching. And then just let ourselves drift away from the truth and from the things of God. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him? We've got to strengthen the things that remain. Thirdly, Jesus exhorted the church to remember from where you came. Remember from where you came. That may not be very good English, but that's the best I could do. Remember from where you came. They needed to remember how they received and heard the gospel. They needed to remember how it gripped their lives at first with the spirit of devotion, with readiness and love, with alertness and energy, with hunger and thirst, with life and vitality, in service and in witnessing and in ministry. Remember those things. Remember from where we came, from what we were before and what we are today. Paul encouraged Timothy to remember from where he had begun to know and to serve the Lord. Remember in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he speaks of his family. He says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Stir it up. Take a stick and, and move those coals that are kind of uh, dying. And, you know, when you stir up the coals and the coals hit, the, you know, the, the oxygen hits those coals that are dying, it brings the fire back. And he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Well, it takes us to stir up that gift. Stir up that fire that's kind of dying out. Stir it up in you. The fourth point that Jesus gives the church is to hold fast. Hold fast. Get back into the Word and hold on to those truths of God and apply them to your lives. Let me say that again. Get back into the Word and hold on to those truths of God and apply them to your life. Believe in them or you will die. Well, you will slowly die of apathy. Believe in what we are reading in the Word of God. Or else you'll die a slow death of apathy. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, do all things without complaining and disputing. You know, if we would just stop complaining and start serving, boy, we'd just be a whole different kind of ball game here, you know? He says, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine 
as lights in the world, holding fast. Now that means just taking hold of and, and I mean hold, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Even Paul says, man, I, I just want to know that I'm doing, you know, God's work effectively with you. And the fifth exhortation of Jesus to the church of Sardis was repent. That means having a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. Having a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. Jesus wants us to do a reality check of where we're at in our relationship with Him. And if we're not where we should be, and listen carefully, if we're not where we should be, His Word should draw us back into His loving arms. His word should draw us back. I've got to tell you, there have been times in in my own ministry that I can be so busy going about doing one thing or another, funerals, weddings, counseling, you know, and and it just piles on. Sometimes it's like like that little avalanche, you know, that just grows bigger and bigger. And, and, you know, there's, there's hardly time to just sit down. I mean, you're praying along the way. You're trying to do everything right. Uh, and, but do you, but you get to that point where you you know you just are ex- totally exhausted and and but there there are, there are moments when all of a sudden there is that that, that there is that hunger that thirst and I and I'll just sit down and I you know I mean maybe hide myself away and just begin to read I said Lord feed me. Pastors need to be fed too, folks. Feed me. Teach me. Awaken me. I'll start reading and all of a sudden, you know, the colored pencils start coming out again. For me, that's a good sign. Because then I'm just saying, oh Lord, thanks. You're speaking and writing and underlining and highlighting and dating because I don't want to forget that that was the day I needed to know this truth. To awaken me. That's something we all need to do. 2 Corinthians 13. Verses 5 and 6 says. Examine yourselves. I mentioned this a lot. Here it is. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves. That Jesus Christ is in you. Can you imagine that, that examination? Hey, would you examine yourself? Oh, Jesus is there. Oh, wow. Thanks for letting me, you know, get in on this, right? Jesus is there. Don't you know? Unless, he says, you are disqualified. Thank the Lord for verse 6. But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. Sometimes we feel that way, don't we? Oh, Lord. And, and the devil doesn't help. He just kind of whispers. He says, ah, you're toast. Forget it. Don't even try. You know, you've lost it with God. God doesn't love you anymore. God doesn't care about you. And you're just sitting there believing that garbage. And the Lord has to come and say, you know, I love you. Get up. <laughs> And repent and let's go. Let's, let's do the first things. That's what he said to Ephesus. Do those first things again. 
Because when we did those first things, we did it with passion, with love. We, 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 just, God, we just love Jesus so much. We just, we did, you know, so don't get to a point where we're, just, oh, we're dead. See, that's dead. We disqualify ourselves when we die. Well, there's a warning. We're only at verse 3. Well, I've got to hurry. Warning. Warning, Bill Robinson. Or Will Robinson. Revelation 3, verse 3. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Now notice this. Therefore, if you will not watch. Which also means what? You don't wake up. I will come upon you as a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come upon you. The Lord warns of the great danger and failing to watch. To ignore His command, to be watchful would bring about Jesus coming upon them as a thief at a, at a time completely unexpected by them, bringing immediate judgment, because we're talking about judgment here, and loss of all valuables, leaving them bare and without anything worthwhile. They will be found vain, empty, and useless. What was the cry of the preacher in Ecclesiastes? Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Vain, empty, just life under the sun is just vanity if it is without God. This judgment says that they didn't count the cost of their discipleship. And folks, we need to start counting the cost of our discipleship. We need to start counting the cost. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, verses 13 through 15. It says, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved yet as through fire. You know, that's the last thing I want anybody to go through. I mean, if you're in Christ, yeah, praise the Lord. Don't, don't get that attitude that says, well, you know, you know, everything will be burned up, but at least I'll be saved. You'll be saved smelling like, like smoke. You don't want that. We want to be before the throne of God. Being able to cast our crowns at his feet. Well, crowns come because we have served Him well. So we need to serve the Lord well. We need to finish our, our discipleship well. We need to finish our walk with the Lord well. Not weak, not dying, not as if we're just barely getting to the finish line. We need to finish well. And, and, it, and it begins with our understanding that we don't want anything that we have done for Jesus Christ to just... Die before we get there. Because then it'll just be burned up. And we don't understand. We really don't fully understand. Yeah, you'll be saved, but what? As through fire. Well, Hank, I don't want fire <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. Because we don't understand that. We haven't seen that. We haven't experienced it. We're believing and trusting the Lord that when the time comes, we will be in His presence and we will be rejoicing forever. What all of this other stuff is, I, I just want to make sure that it's behind us. But there is a promise, and praise the Lord for that. The promise is Revelation, uh, Revelation 3, verses 4 and 5. You have, you have a few names, even in Sardis, he says, who have not defiled their garments. There's, there's some people in this dead, dead church and dying church that are still okay. They're those dying embers, but they're They're alive. And they're there. And he says, They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. 
He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. You know, there was a habit that was being done in cities, you know, where everybody's name was registered in a book. But on the day that you died, your name was taken out. This is what the reference is. And, and so what, 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 uh, what Jesus is saying is, listen, I'm not going to blot your name out. Why? Because you're going to stay alive. Stay alive. Stay alive. Huh, huh, huh. Stay alive. Now stay alive here. I'm just trying to see if you're still awake with, with me, you know. Somebody's going, Beaches? <laughs> I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. I will confess. What a beautiful statement Jesus makes. I will confess you before my father. I want that for every one of you in this room. I want Jesus to say to you, enter in my good and faithful servant. I want Jesus to say, I confess his name before you, my father, because he's worthy. The only way we are worthy is we put on the the righteousness of Christ, the only one who truly is worthy. And even within this dead church, there were some who were alive and were cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Their garments are white, as Paul signifies in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. He says, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. The overcomers are assured of their heavenly citizenship. The focus is on assurance. And so the text is not implying that a name was written and then erased, written and then erased, written and then erased, written and then erased, erased, and so on. Because at the same time, we need to consider our service and our devotion to the one who saved us and gave himself for us so that we do not slip into apathy and complacency. Lastly, the admonition to heed, Revelation 3, verse 6, He who has an ear. Another verse that is to all the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let me leave you with something that I've shared before, but I've never put up here so you can see it. Uh, General William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army in England, and he, he wrote this many years ago. And you can actually substitute uh, or just add to 20th century, also add 21st century, because that's where, in, where we are in now. But he said this, he said, the chief danger of the 20th century, and make that 21st century as well, the chief danger of the 21st century will be Christianity without Christ. Isn't that an interesting thing? Uh, with all, I, I have to say this, but with all due respect to the President of the United States, that's Christianity without Christ. I'm sorry, but that's what it is. He calls himself a Christian, but he has taken stands on issues that are anti-biblical, and I'm so sorry, and it pains me, and we need to pray for him. But folks, that's Christianity without Christ. Because Jesus died on the cross for those sins. They're sins that he's taking a stand for. Religion without the Holy Spirit can all kinds of activity. We can, we can even say things that are going on in this place, people rolling and uh, you know, barking in the aisles, saying that that's the Spirit, it's not the Spirit. That's religion without the Holy Spirit. 
That's somebody's else, somebody else's thought that that's the spirit. Just because there's some kind of, you know, all kind of, you know, the more you hype yourself up. You know. Salvation without regeneration. Regeneration is being born again. We come to realize that we're dead in the spirit. We need to be alive in the spirit. So we're saved by the life of Christ. But today, you know, we could tell people, well, you just say a prayer and that's all you need to do. But there's no change of heart. There's no repentance. Forgiveness without repentance, which is the next point. We want forgiveness, but without repentance. We don't want to change. And then lastly, heaven without hell. And people in the emerging, uh, emerging church movement have guys like Rob Bell that are writing books about, you know, saying that there is no hell and, and uh, you know, writing just things that are totally unbiblical. We know there's a hell because Jesus taught about it more than he taught about heaven. And the only reason he did is because he didn't want anybody to go there. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. So that is the lifeless dead church, church of Sardis. That which I hope and pray we will never see. A church that is alive doesn't have to have hundreds of thousands of people in it. It just needs to have life within those that are there. The life that is in us tonight is the life of Jesus Christ and the power of His Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Jesus, when he spoke to the woman at the well, he said to her that we need to worship God in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. You worship the Lord in the spirit of God and in the word of God, which I hope and pray we do every week. But it is up to us who hear the word of God to respond to the word of God, to be affected by the word of God. And to let the Holy Spirit do the work that he wants to do, which is his work in us. So let's pray for that. Father, I thank